right, Kelly. So to start everything off, tell us about who you are and about Catch Outdoors. How, how did everything get started? Oh, my goodness. You want the story from like when I was a child starting or do you want the 2000 and on version? Uh, let's do the 2000 and on version. How about that? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, about the late 90s, I had um, started painting crankbaits. Um, I had like 20 years prior to that just making randomly hobby stuff and things like that dating back to when I was a kid and a Cub Scout. Um, but around 2000, 2003, I started doing repaints and repairs. And um, around 2003, I created Custom Lures Unlimited. And uh, that kind of snowballed three or four years later. And I was painting for, we got some press on ESPN. And we started painting for Ike and Randy Howe and did some work for Skeet Reese and Shaw Grigsby and some other folks. And it snowballed, uh, and by within three years, I had quit my day job, which I was in the child psychology field, believe it or not, because all great child psychologists become lure makers eventually. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the path to lure making, just get your psych degree. Um, so fast forward um, several years, 2008, 2009, I started working on this thing called Zero Gravity Jig, which you're familiar with. And that kind of snowballed, uh, took off a little bit around 2010 and 11. And about that same time is when I purchased Danny Joe's original floating worm. Um, Danny and I have known each other since the late 80s because I've always purchased his worm. Um, and I've always used his worm. And he also lives locally, like maybe an hour, hour and a half away from us. Um, so I had called one day to uh, place an order. And he said, uh, I'm thinking about getting out of the business. And he goes, why don't you buy me out? And I said, let me think about it. So sold my bass boat to get the capital out of it. I know that's a sad story. In order to yeah. buy his molds and buy his, he had like a 300, 400,000 uh, quantity inventory. I purchased all of that, purchased his mold, his buzzing grub, excuse me, his buzzing grub and some other items and um here we are today it's uh 10 years later and still going strong and the the worm is now officially 32 years old um wow. and i'm just I'm, I'm grateful to have it to be honest with you good deal now, I, i'll never forget the first video i saw the zero gravity jig it was amazing and i i got a hold of some of them and they were my bed fishing favorite lure for a <laughs> long time i still use them and i hate to tell people about them because they work so well, but, but uh -huh. that is, that's just an amazing lure. Before we get into the topic at hand today, talk about the zero gravity jig just a little bit. How did the idea get started to create something like that? Well, it's an interesting story. That's a good question because that is actually, um, it's very unique how it happens. I considered myself from, I was tournament fishing at the time from 2000, to maybe 2010 or so. And around 2007, I was at a tournament in North Carolina, a local tournament, and um, I considered myself a very average jig fisherman at best. I loved deep diving crankbaits, you know, just junk fishing, floating worms, whatever they bit on. Um, and I was in a tournament, and I had caught two or three keepers in the morning crankbaits, and I was pulling out to a flat, and right where it drops off into the creek channel, and it started pouring rain and I could see the fish on the graph. They scattered and scattering is not good when you're throwing a deep diving crankbait because you want them tight. You want them bunched up so you can you can place it. 
And this little random thought came through my head. I wish I had a jig that would perform like a Carolina rig and come over the grass line. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. I ended up catching a couple more keepers that day, um, caught my limit, came back to the house. And for like a week there, I kept thinking about that idea. And uh, I started dreaming about it. I'm like, hey, what? there might be something to this. So I, I talked to one of my buddies who's a professional angler. He was on the FLW tour. And his exact words were to me, why would you want a jig that floats? And that at that point, the idea was the jig that floats, not a jig that slow sinks like it does now. Um, and, he, and I said, I don't know. I wanted to perform like a Carolina rig. Um, long story short, it gave me nightmares for maybe six months. Uh, and I, I'm also one of those people that keep notepads by the bed and draw because I have ideas and crazy lucid dreams during the night about lures of all things go figure um <laughs> so it kept me up and it bothered me that i couldn't figure out how to do it i ordered materials like uh, foams i ordered all kinds of stuff i even tried it in wood they all failed um i had the mold and it, everything was adhering to molds um it just it just wasn't working and i let it rest for maybe a couple of months and then it stepped it kept bothering me again so I got back to it, uh, ended up purchasing three molds before it finally we settled on the right hook and the right head design. That The original head was actually a football head. A lot of folks don't know that. Um, and then I changed it to an Arky style uh, shortly into the design phase. And uh, it was it took about three years to get it right uh, and three moldings, uh, a lot of patience. And uh, and when it finally came out, it got a, it got a fair amount of press tackle tour had uh, done a review of it and gave it an innovation award because it was lead free um and it just performed it, it sank yeah like you know it sinks really slow it's it's a different presentation that the ambassador used to seeing um and from there tackle warehouse picked it up and got some more press and here we are it's it's almost uh, 11 years old now and still going strong and it's awesome. It's it's amazing what one little random thought during the mid of a, middle of a fishing tournament can lead into, which basically funded the rest of my business. So it's crazy. Good deal. Well, now you have the zero gravity jig. You got the, the Danny Joe's original floating worm. You have frogs and crankbaits and, and, and poppers. So what's next with Catch Out Outdoors? What are you working on now? Uh... Right now, a bunch of large purchase orders for some of the subscription boxes. Uh, uh, I will tell you, I wish I had it here in front of me. Uh, when I was doing the custom paints uh, years ago, from like 2006 to 2012 or 13, and this you can, sit, can consider breaking news because you'll be the first one to hear of this. Um, there was a lure called a Mach K popper, and it sat completely vertical in the water. Chug, chug. And you, you know you've been on the lake and you have a, like schoolers come up and they'll hit your lure and it'll go flying in the air and you'll miss them completely or they'll make a roll and they'll miss it. This is one of those lures that almost virtually eliminates it because it sits so low in the water column. Um, if just a little slightest swipe at it, um, they get snagged. Uh, so I'm actually uh, redoing the mold on it right now. It's in process and I'm hoping to have it by the end of the year again and that's been the 
Well, it's been the biggest lure that I've had the most fuss about since it was discontinued in 2015. Um, but yeah, that's that's news to everybody probably. If you, if anybody cares, it is a fish catching little machine. Um, and for me to consider it as the first bait that I'm putting back into production, it's a fish catching machine. Um, yeah. But hopefully, folks will enjoy it again. I can't wait. I can't wait. Now, you like I said, you you cut your teeth painting lures. So when it comes to lure color, um, in your experience, how much does color matter? Does it matter? I mean, action matters, of course. You know how the right. lure performance matters. But when uh, do you see color matter the most? I see it. Well, I can speak for locally here. Um, we have three reservoirs within maybe 20 minutes of here. And the color variation from each lake is just unbelievable to me. One lake is really clear, and it used to have grass, and now it has no grass. Um, it had a color. I think I can grab one. And it might be the ugliest color you've ever seen, and also has significant historical value to my business. This is the color that started my business. This is the color that I was painting in the 90s that was discontinued. And it's ugly color, and it looks like a bad tuxedo from the 70s, and it's called Old Blue. Um, Old Blue uh, basically launched my business. Bagley's used to make a color that looked like this in a Chatterbee 3, which was one of my favorite lures, and they discontinued it. At Harris Lake, that's the fish will hammer this because of the clear water. It kind of has a glow effect in the water, and then you go maybe five miles across uh, US 64 and there's another lake called Jordan Lake which MLF came to last year and there's a color called Mellow Citrus it's like a muted citrus version and they will hammer it there you will rarely get bit on Old Blue at Jordan Lake um, and then there's another lake that MLF went to last year called Falls Lake and it's maybe maybe 15 miles from Jordan there's a color there that's called Table Rock Shad well, not table rock, excuse me, lead rock shad, and it's kind of a chartreuse and a purple back. You will not get bit on this lure at Harris Lake, but at Falls Lake and Jordan Lake, you'll get bit. So there's something to the color thing. Sometimes I don't think it matters if they're in a real feeding frenzy mode where you've got them active. Um, but just using those three lakes as example, color is so specific to those lakes. And trust me, I've thrown all three colors at every lake. But as soon as you pick up that one certain color, especially in summertime, June and July, um, and you hit those rock piles, they will come off and hammer those certain colors. It's, it's very unusual. I wish I had the psychology behind why they don't like Old Blue on Falls Lake or Jordan Lake and, and vice versa for the other lakes. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's the only way I can describe it. So I think it does matter. And then there are, there are other times where I think they're just hitting anything that comes by them i don't think it matters at that point it's amazing how it works like that um but because you're an expert in in lure painting and you've done this for so long what is the secret sauce what is the one lure color that you've painted the most for people that everybody comes back for that says this is the one i gotta have it um paint this one for me um well the lure that i painted the most color uh, or just bluegill patterns um, from coast to coast, a bluegill pattern folks always gravitate toward. Number one, it's pretty. Number two, it mimics the forage. Um, and number three, number three, that it works. Um, me personally, if I had to pick a color, 
Uh, I'd have to go with a Melisitrus color. Let me grab that one. Should have had these laid out. Uh, if you can see it, it's a muted uh, citrus flavor. And this is our Prey 18, our deepest diving crankbait. Um, but it, it's not, some, some of the chartreuses and citrus that you get are really bright and bold and you look like, look like a light bulb almost. This one is kind of muted and dialed down. And when you put it in the water, it basically looks like a shad. Um, it, but a shad with a little bit of hint of chartreuse. And everybody knows that chartreuse is like candy in the fishing world anyway. Oh, yeah. um, but that, that would be the one color that I would go to. But the one I painted the most were bluegills by far. Everybody loves the bluegill pattern. Good commercial break fishing, folks. But we'll be right back with today's guest. Stay tuned. Football. Nah. Baseball. Did it. Motocross got hurt. I choose to fish. And fish. And fish. Hi everybody, I'm Kelly Jordan. I'd like to show you the RTD. What is the RTD? RTD stands for Rod Threading Device. This is a tool that helps you put line on your rod, threads your string through your fishing guides on your rod quick, easily, and it saves you a bunch of time, which gives you more time to be on the water, enjoy fishing, less hassle. Let's attach our line, put it through the hole in the little line connector, give it a slight tug to seat it, then you let it go to work. And <laughs> you are done stringing your rod. It's that easy. RTD would make a great gift for that fisherman that you know that has everything. They don't have an RTD and they need one. This old dude down at the flea market tried to sell me wench for a couple hundred bucks. I said, no dice. Give me an ugly stick and a pair of boots. Got it! Yeah! Ugly stick. Sensitive, so you don't have to be. Let's get into the topic at hand. It's iCast. You know, today is the first day as a recording. It's the first day of iCast, the virtual iCast 2020. And a whole bunch of new products will be out on the market. You know, people will be talking about the new products for a while now. Um, right. But I can almost guarantee I will pay my last dollar or bet my last dollar that none of the products that's coming out of iCast right now will be the floating worm on any given day. At any given time, it's a tried and true uh, right. worm, and you have one of the best floating worms out there. And it's one of my confidence baits. But I want to hear from the horse's mouth why it's such a good worm. So let's talk about Danny Joe's you know original floating worm and and why is it such a good worm that works? Um, well, number one, it is the original floating worm. A lot of a lot of folks know of the trick worm, and they know of um. 
some other floating worms and things like that. Uh, Bass Pro Shop used to make a worm. Um, but Danny created this himself. I've got to give him props for it. This was late 80s when he won his first uh, Bassmaster tournament on it. Um, the inaugural one, as a matter of fact. Um, he kind of set the world on fire for maybe five or six years with floating worms and, and especially wacky worm. I remember vividly hearing about the first time my brother said, uh, stick a hook in the middle and fish it wacky style. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's the craziest thing ever. Um, we always Texas rig, you know, worm goes, hook goes through the head and comes out straight, stick it in the middle. And, um, I believe, I believe the first color that I ever purchased were just your standard white floating worms from him. And we hammered them. I mean, you know how it was when they first came out. It's like fish have never seen a, a lure with a hook stuck in the middle. And we hammered them. Um, in terms of its staying power, um, it's simple. It just flat out catches fish like you're saying year in, year out. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing old about. I mean, well, a worm is old in itself. The plastic worm is old. It, it dates back into the 60s and early 70s. Um, but there's, there's something timeless about Danny Joe's worm. Um, like you're saying, fish will only get so smart in their lifetime. I mean, their IQs are, you know, they're pretty aggressive creatures. Uh, there's nothing changed between 1988 and the year 2020 in their brains that doesn't, doesn't allow them not to eat this. Um, it's very flexible. It's durable, as you can see. Um, it's in the, in the, for a lack of a better word, when you put it in the water, it's kind of sexy. You know, he's got two little things flapping like this and you put it in front of his face on a bed or under a tree limb. It's like, you know, he has to go for it almost. Um, so it's kind of timeless in a way. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have something that I, you know, most lures have a shelf life of about seven years um, and then they get discontinued. Um, I think this cat will be around as long as I'm alive and hopefully somebody will own it after me. Definitely. But let's backtrack for a second because you mentioned wacky rigging the worm. I know that it's popular, extremely popular right now, but I did not know it, it dated that far back. I mean, I've heard of anglers, professional anglers, wacky rigging worms on the on the tours, you know, dating back 10, 15 years and without saying anything to people about it. But I had no idea it, it went back as far as the original floating worm actually yeah. being rigged wacky, wacky style. So so you're saying that it's been that way for a long time. And even though people are just now catching on as it's mainstream now, it's been popular right. for years. It has the, uh, I would have to say like 87, 88 is the first time frame that I ever heard of it. And it was shortly after Danny Joe won his tournament. Um, and it was, it was because Danny Joe is central to North Carolina at the time. It was all everybody through um for five years that was it if you went to a, to a lake and it had grass in it or or river rock or whatever you had in it that's what they were throwing were wacky worms um now there are times you want to straight texas rig it um and thick cover and things like that wacky tends to hold or get snagged up a little bit more um especially if you have an exposed hook but yeah my preferred method is wacky rigging i still use it to this day i i like the visual of it um and I, y'all can almost call it sight fishing in a way, especially if you have a, a bubble gum or a, a brighter worm like methylate or something like that, or a bubble gum. You can, you know, it, you throw it in the water and you can see the action of your lure to down about two or three, four feet. And usually when that lure disappears, 
out of sight, that means something is toting it off to the left or to the right, um, which is, makes it fun. It's almost like it's a visual style of fishing. It makes it really exciting. That might be the enchantment about it. Um, you know, everybody loves top water. Oh, yeah. Uh, you like the visual strike with a crankbait. You don't get that. You just get the feel typically. Um, and with a floating worm, you can do both. You can work it on top or you can let it sink three to four feet down and, and watch it disappear. Now, I'm glad you mentioned color because this is one of the one lures that people gravitate towards the brighter colors. You no, know, the brighter, the better half of the time. So why is it just a visual thing so you can see the color when you choose pinks and whites and, and chartreuse uh, floating worms? Or is it something that the bass one as well? Um, is it for anglers or is it for the bass? Or a combination um, of both? I think it's a combination of both. I tend to gravitate towards what my water clarity looks like, to be honest with you. If my water is stained, I want that methylate. Um, if it, the water is clearing, I'll go with a color in the middle like a chartreuse or perhaps even a bubble gum. Um, but when the water gets a little bit clearer, maybe they've been drawing water at your reservoir and it's dropping or something, I will start changing over to my green pumpkinish colors, things like that, if it's clearer. Um, a lot of time you can get moving current and the water stays kind of turbulent. And I'll go with my my new color, is, which is my new favorite, is watermelon bubblegum, which is green pumpkin. I mean, excuse me, watermelon meets bubblegum. I don't know if you can see that very well. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, you get a little bit of flash and you get a little bit of your uh, your darker color to it. Um, but yeah, water, water color is what dictates it to me also, especially in early springtime. You know, you can Sometimes in spring, we get a, a lot of rains and you can dirty up your water real fast. So you better have a wide selection of colors. Um, and then you, you go out into the summer months and it's a great Carolina rig worm. So you want your green pumpkins and your darker June bugs and things like that also. They're so popular and effective. So when it comes to the floating worm, how deep is too deep? Uh, do you or is it just a shallow water bait or are you using it in deeper water as well? Oh, yeah. Um, we have a lot of customers in Tennessee that love to do the shaky head thing with it. Um, and it makes perfect sense. It's very flexible. It's it, it still has a good amount of flotation in it. So your tail end of your worm is still setting up. Uh, we have folks that like to skip it under docks. Uh, and this is interesting. Uh, this is a good story. And this is one of those things that I filed in that I never understood this until it happened. Uh, Danny Joe, went, the day that we went and uh, took our big U-Haul and backed up to his his building to get all his inventory, he told me, he said, you're in spring, you're going to get massive orders from the Pacific Northwest. And I said, what? For floating worms? He goes, yes. And he says, you're going to get huge orders. And I said, really? He goes, yes. I'm like, there's no way. Because I'm thinking this thing is a southeast <laughs> bass fisherman's paradise type of a worm. He goes, no, just wait. Well, the first spring that I owned it, uh, the first order that I think I got or that I received was um, uh, somebody ordered a thousand hot pink floating worms from the Pacific wow. Northwest, like the Mount Rainier area. And I, I said, I don't understand it. Uh, why, what, what is up with bass fishing in, in the Pacific Northwest? So then a few weeks later, this fellow, he was a guy that ordered, sent me pictures of gigantic steelhead with pink floating worms hanging out of their mouth. 
file that in the who knew category because I never knew that story. And um, he used them in streams with fast moving water, and it was the only worm that would not foul up on the rocks. So he's in two to three foot of water, monster steelhead are in there, and this floating worm with bubble gum comes flying by their face, and apparently they liked they liked it. I knew I never knew that. That's probably the most and it still happens. It just caught me off a of guard. You think of it as a bass fishing worm. But well, monsters did. I can tell you a story here in Florida. We use uh, there's a, a worm hatch that happens you know, every year and the tarpon go crazy over these worms. They, they eat worms you know, off the top. And I use a floating worm to catch tarpon and barracudas and things like that all the time. We use a bigger one most of the time, but uh, it's a floating worm that just we work on top of, of, of the surface I, and they I come up and they, they get it. They hit it every single time. And it's, it's one of the secrets that people use, but they, they don't talk about them. At all, but it's, it's one of the that. big secrets. Yep. They need to talk about it because I've never heard of that. You've just been like something. I just put the cat out of the bag, and it's hopefully some people will use it. But yeah, that's something that we've been doing for a long time—a floating worm that's for awesome. for tarpon here in Florida. Yep. Oh, that's a bucket list bucket list fish. Also, I never knew that, so I can bring my floating worms to Florida and catch tarpon. Yeah, <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> Come on down. I'll put you on some. <laughs> Sign me up. Good deal. That's awesome. So, I mean, when it comes to the floating worm, it's like, like I said, I think it's one of the, it's one, if I have to catch a fish, I tie on a floating worm all the time. Right. That, that's, that's the one, if I, I don't care how the size of the fish, if I have to catch a fish, I tie on a floating worm. That's my, my confidence bait. Right. So in your opinion, what makes, I mean, just overall, what makes the floating worm so great? Uh, couple things if i had to go over it the, in design itself it's very simple there's nothing flamboyant about it. there's no curly tail um it's it's compact and fall and semi-small i think it's smaller than a trick worm this is it's only six inches but if you whack it you've got a little three inch morsel right there in the middle uh, it's small and compact and it and the movement i think is the magic to it especially with a wacky rig that that flapping and undulating in the water is just—it just triggers them. Uh, besides the colors and things like that, the size and just the movement of it, I think, is it that slow fall? In fact, it all, almost falls into that zero gravity family, if you will. Um, obviously, you can put lead on it, make it go down faster, but it has that slow fall, that slow descent. If you rig it towards the head, just past to the left of the egg sac, it's going to fall head first. If you rig it to the other way, it's going to fall flat. Um, and here's another little trick. Where are my scissors at? Well, I'll just describe it to you. Right in the middle where the egg sac is at, I tend to rig to the left of the egg sac because I want it to fall head first. But I used to, I used to use this trick in tournaments. But if you'll take a pair of scissors or a knife and cut right down the middle of the egg sac, mm -hmm. the action that you get then, the little legs will overlap overlap themselves when you when you pull it in the water you'll get so much before you're getting like this you'll get like this and the action is unbelievable it makes the bait really small they'll do like this almost um that's one of those little trade secrets uh from the maker i guess i don't know if anybody else does that but i do it all the yeah, time i've never heard of that at all but i have a question texas rigging a wacky uh, excuse me a, a, a floating worm I've heard people say they take the, the, the top end where the hook is and they put a little bend in the worm 
and that way when you're working on top of the water, it gives it a more erratic action. It does. Is that something that's very popular? I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know about the popularity of it, but what you just described is, is actually true. I know a lot of folks that'll do that, especially when they're dock fishing. Um, some of the lakes like Gaston and um, at Lake Norman up in Charlotte, things like that, have tons of docks. And they probably see a lot of straight worms and straight lizards and soft plastics and beaver tails and whatnot flipped up under them. But this, it kind of mimics a dying shad almost. It has a very, it, like a normal fluke type of a bait will just glide like this. And it'll kind of, you know, it has a little bit of a jerk and a weird tor torque and twist to them. So, yeah, that's that's very good that you picked up on that. Good deal, good deal. Little tidbits that you're giving us. I, I Absolutely. Do appreciate those, that. Are those are those are insider tricks. Those are good questions. All right. So I mean, we're gonna wrap this podcast up and thanks for coming on and talking about the floating worm. But and tell us are uh, the listeners and the people watching, how can they learn more about the Danny Joe's original floating worm and more about catch outdoors? Uh you can go follow us on Instagram at catch outdoors, and you can also follow us on Facebook. Um, our floaters and some other products are at Tackle Warehouse and you can, you can catch up, catch up with us at catchoutdoors.com. And if you ever have questions, feel free to, to shoot me a question and I'll be happy to answer it. Um, always love talking about products. Good deal, Kelly. Well, thanks a lot. I do appreciate it. I know you're busy this morning. You got some orders thanks. you got to get out. So thanks oh, yeah, a lot we for do. taking the time out. got some orders to get out, don't we? They're like, yes, we got orders to get out. Good deal. Well, I'm going to have you back on the podcast if you were willing to come back on we'll talk more about the zero gravity jig and hopefully talk some more about some of your other products as well that works man i appreciate it thank you kelly i'm a watermelon red guy and yeah that looks beautiful I'm, oh. I'm gonna get a couple yeah well i my original one i wanted that color to be like a um a rainbow trout color for like out west in california and we we had a run that didn't come out right, and I looked at it and I said, "Wait a minute, we're not far off from having something here." And um, I added in some fleck, some gold fleck on the back side of the green pumpkin. I was like, "I have got to, I have got to run with that." Let me. I don't know how well of a look you got at it, but by far my most uh, successful worm of the year so far. Yeah, that looks really nice. I like that a lot. It's got green and and. There's some variation in several of it. Like, it's just got the best of both worlds. I mean, who doesn't like watermelon and who doesn't like bubble gum as an angler, you know? Um, and also, and this is another one of those little tricks for you, depending on which side you enter your hook through, either mm -hmm. the back side or the, the green side, like you can make that back side will be what the fish sees, the pink, or if you turned it over, the first side he would see would be the green, pretending that he's coming at it from behind. Now we're, now we're really splitting hairs on the, the technique oh, yeah. stuff. It seems to work, though. Um, caught a lot of fit. Here's another good color I'll have to send you. Um, this one's a new one. We actually have nine new new colors this year. This one's called um, Bedding Bluegill, if you mm -hmm. can see it. It's got a, a little light orange on the oh, underside, yeah. and the back side is like a candy. Oh, yeah. Very sexy in the water also. That is really nice. Yeah, we we um eliminated some of the dead weight the danny joe used to have like 30 something plus colors um so we we've dialed it down to like 24 25 and we added nine new ones so you know we it, it kind of gave it an update there's nothing wrong with catawba and there's nothing wrong with sherbet but 
we there's so many colors in my head that I had to get them out somehow. They do. Um, black uh, South Africa special. I don't know if y'all like black down there. Or if this is black with a red and purple fleck and glitter. I don't know if you can see oh, that or nice. not. Uh, so tons of new colors. And I didn't mention this new item. I didn't get that on the podcast. Ooh, that is nice. Um, and, well, this is an interesting. This File that in the who knew category. I had a guy from um, uh, South Africa the other day email me a picture on Instagram or the direct message me a picture. He had caught a fish called a golden Dorado. I don't know if you saw this on our Instagram or Facebook oh. site. Unbelievable on the Black Widow zero gravity jig. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a bucket list fish for me. I want to catch one of those so bad. It, it, it's an interesting story. I could talk all day fishing and stuff. Um, but And I was just doing an Instagram search a couple of days ago, like last Tuesday, and I saw this beautiful fish and the guy holding him in a stream it looked like South America, and I was like, I just clicked like with my business account. Well, the very next day, he he, he texted me a message and said, um, are you the maker of this jig? And I, and I said, the zero gravity? I said, yes, sir. He goes, that's what we caught that fish on. Wow. Wow. He said he had six of them and that they had chewed the skirts completely off of them by day three. Um, he's also caught tiger fish in, I guess, Namib Namibia or somewhere like that. Um, they said they love the fall rate on it. And I'm, I'm like, who knew? I mean, that's kind of like the steelhead with a floating worm. Uh, man, it makes you, it makes you realize how many fish you're not catching in the world with your own lures. You know, I need to get out more. <laughs> I need to are, catch. Are you, 